From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. Whether demanding that Cuba be removed from the list of state sponsors of terrorism or demanding police accountability for the murder one year ago of Jalen Walker in Akron, Ohio, people came to D.C. from around the U.S. to raise their voices for justice. Jalen Walker represents every single case that you are hearing about right now. You might not be able to make it to stand up for another child, but if you stand up for Jalen Walker, you are letting the system know that the entire thing must be torn down and rebuilt. We do not believe that policing can be reformed. And our media critic John Jeter weighs in on that Supreme Court decision on affirmative action. We take this moment to reset and to think about how we can, as Malcolm first proposed, how we can think of education that serves the community in which we educate people, prepare people, our young people to serve the community. All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, after the U.S. Supreme Court on Thursday gutted affirmative action for colleges, finding that admissions programs at Harvard University and the University of North Carolina are unconstitutional, progressive lawmakers said the ruling means that other branches of government must do more to ensure access to quality education. Representative Jamal Bowman of New York said, quote, this means canceling student debt, ensuring everyone has access to free public college, and passing my Fair College Admissions for Students Act, which would end the legacy and donor-based admissions practices that favor the white and wealthy, end quote, said Bowman, a former educator on Twitter. Progressive legal scholars cheered the dissents to the ruling written by Justices Sonia Sotomayor and Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, which pointed out the hypocrisy in the majority's ruling, pretending that the United States is colorblind. Justice Sotomayor wrote, quote, Today, this court holds that race can no longer be used in a limited way in college admissions to achieve such critical benefits. In so holding, the court cements a superficial rule of colorblindness as a constitutional principle in an endemically segregated society where race has always mattered and continues to matter. The court subverts the constitutional guarantee of equal protection by further entrenching racial inequality in education, the very foundation of our democratic government and pluralistic society, end quote, she wrote. The high court's decision on affirmative action, which was expected, was during the same week that in another case, the court did reject the far right so-called independent state legislature theory which would have allowed state lawmakers to be free of judicial oversight in determining the rules for federal elections. For example, this scheme would have allowed selection of alternate fake slates of electors during the 2020 presidential election. George Washington University law professor Kim Keenan told WPFW Pacifica Radio that with their decision, the justices preserved the rights of the judiciary and that seldom do courts rule in such a way to take away their own power. 
something like this would literally blow elections out of the water because under the independent state legislature theory, literally they would be able to say, oh, no mail-in ballots. We don't want to do that. We don't like that. We, you know what? We think people won't vote for us. I mean, it literally turns voting for politicians on its head and the politicians get to vote for the voters, right? They say, mm-hmm. okay, let's cut the map so we only get the people we like and the people who will make us win without any regard to this whole notion of democracy and one person, one vote. The court also rejected an attempt by the Norfolk Southern Railroad to limit where it can be sued. Yes, this is the same Norfolk Southern Railroad responsible for that toxic chemical spill earlier this year in East Palestine, Ohio. Activists converged on D.C. for three days of events, June 23rd through June 25th, to demand that President Biden remove Cuba from the state sponsors of terror list, which, when added to the 60-year-old U.S. economic blockade of the island, is cutting off Cuba from trade with almost all of the world, creating extreme hardships and shortages, poverty, and hunger. Justine Medina, an Amazon worker and organizer with the Amazon Workers Union, spoke at the June 25th rally outside the White House. I am a Cuban-American. I am here today. Thank you. I am here today because Senator Menendez does not speak for me. I was raised by Cubans in Florida. I have been to Cuba multiple times. I have Cuban and Cuban-American family and friends across the political spectrum. Liberal, conservative, socialist. I know Cubans on the island and in Miami who want the government to change, and Cubans who support and fight to defend their government. I know Cuban-Americans who voted for Biden and ones who voted for Trump. And not a single one of us supports the embargo, the blockade, or any of the horrific unilateral measures against Cuba. Senator Menendez, Joe Biden, and any other politicians who aggress against Cuba, do not speak for me on this. They do not speak for my family. They do not speak for the vast majority of Cuban Americans. And they certainly do not speak for the millions of Cubans in Cuba whose sovereignty is violated every day by the United States government. It is ironic that the U.S. politicians talk of Cuba sponsoring terrorism when the only terrorism that happens on Cuban soil is the torture and international war crimes perpetrated every day by the United States. The the crime against humanity that is Guantanamo Bay prison. End the hypocrisy, end the embargo, remove Cuba from the state sponsor of terrorism list. All power to the working Cuban people, all power to the working people of the U.S., all power to the international working class. Nearly 100 state and local governments and other organizations have passed resolutions calling for an end of Cuba's inclusion on the list. In front of the Department of Justice, national and local human rights organizations gathered June 27th to mark one year after 25-year-old Jalen Walker was shot to death with 47 bullets by the Akron, Ohio Police Department. 
Though Walker was the focus, testimony from family and friends of others slain by police painted a gruesome picture of police violence across the United States. Activist Marquel Bridges is one of those who spoke to the crowd. I'm here to, to let you know that Jalen is not an isolated incident. I'm a local of Gulfport, Mississippi, born and raised in Laurel, Mississippi, and I want to tell you about Michael Corey Jenkins. Michael Corey Jenkins was at his friend's house when six white officers came in, handcuffed him, began to waterboard him, began to sexually assault him, and before they left, they stuck the gun in his mouth while handcuffed and shot him in the mouth. More voices from the action later in the show. And last but not least, during this time teeming with activism in D.C., a memorial was held for the human rights activist Randall Robinson on June 24th at Shiloh Baptist Church in Northwest D.C. His sister, the Reverend Jean Robinson Casey, gave a tribute. He touched, enriched, inspired, educated, motivated, and transformed so many lives. Randall Robinson called by God to fight for justice. He led the fight to end apartheid in South Africa. He lobbied for humane policy for Haitian refugees as well as the return of President Jean-Bertrand Aristide to his native land. And he called for reparations for African Americans in this country. Randall fought the good fight. He finished the race. Now, if we truly, if we truly wish to pay tribute to Randall, if we really want to honor his legacy, we will commit to pick up the baton of justice and run even further. Of course, we will mourn this huge loss. We will grieve with the huge void in our hearts. Yet it can be the catalyst. It can be the catalyst toward a renewed sense of meaning that will offer purpose and direction in our lives. This is not a goodbye to my brother Randall. This is a thank you. Thank you for coming into the Robinson family. Thank you for the joy that you brought. Thank you for loving us and receiving our love in return. Thank you for the memories we will cherish forever. Randall Maurice Robinson, you will never be forgotten. We will love you. We will love you forevermore. Other speakers at the memorial included the actor Danny Glover and Congresswoman Barbara Lee of California. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us.
Folks, we are here. This is this is called Main DOJ. This is the main headquarters of the Department of Justice, the Robert F. Kennedy Building. This is where the Attorney General resides, where he works his office, is housed. This is where the decisions uh, are made, and the decision ultimately will be made that the letter all of the national and local civil rights organizations sent to the DOJ to ask them to open an investigation into Jalen Walker's death and a pattern practice investigation into the Akron Police Department overall. That inquiry will be answered here, if it is answered. We are here, to be very clear, we are here to demand that that inquiry take place. Just like what just happened in Minneapolis with George Floyd. All of these cases are the same. There's no justification for the Akron Police Department's cumulative and ongoing violence against our people and particularly against Jalen Walker. 90 shots fired, 6.7 seconds. 46 shots hitting Jalen. And so we're here to demand this. We have no choice but to come here and demand it. Why? Because the Bureau of Investigation in Akron failed to bring charges. The grand jury failed to bring charges. I don't know. I had heard that any prosecutor could indict a ham sandwich if she or he wanted to. Don't, don't know. Well, we know what happened. But we're here in this... Uh, corridor of the federal government to make this demand. We're across the street. The other part of the Justice Department is the FBI building. I remember when we tried to take the name off that building because the name on that building we dare not utter. Speaking of martyrdom, that is the name that was responsible for the deaths of Viola Luzo and Selma, Malcolm X, and Dr. King. Amen. But we are here to demand justice for all of these martyred souls, particularly Jalen Walker today. We will also be hearing during the course of this program from other impacted families who have also been victims of police violence. One of the most moving displays, I'm sure you all would agree, was in May when we marched on Akron. And I think at least 15, more than a dozen families from around the country came to stand with Pamela Walker. We had reached out to Trayvon Martin's mother, Sabrina Fulton. She could not be here, but she sends her love to you, and she will be in touch. And there are other mothers who are concerned, other mothers who are praying with and for this family, praying with and for Pamela Walker. My name is Tiffany Rochelle. I am the mother of Jalen Randall that was shot and killed last year, April the 27th by an officer of Houston Police Department. His name is Shane Privet. And we are now going on a year and a couple of months that this police still have not been indicted. And I am here to support Jalen's Walker, Miss Pamela Turner, whenever the mothers are suffering. I'm going to be there because I am a mother too that is suffering. And we know that right now, 
is injustice, but God going to turn it into justice. And I ask that y'all continue to keep praying for these families and pray for me as well, because as a mother, we are going through the motions. It may look different right now, but you don't know and you don't see what we go through when we are at home and when our mind is settled. So I'm just asking for your blessings. Keep praying for us. We need your prayers. We need each and every one of your prayers. It's no justice, no peace. We will not rest until we get justice. So we are here standing for Jalen Walker. No justice. No justice. Thank you. Thank you, Tiffany Rochelle, an impacted family member. The one of the lead organizations in terms of organizing this march and did a great, a lot of great work fundraising and all of that is the Akron Urban League. We want to welcome now from the Akron Urban League, Dr. Jennifer Ross. Please welcome her warmly. She's coming. Good afternoon. The Akron Urban League is here to stand for justice for Jalen. We're not going to rest until we get justice for Jalen. We are here seeking the Department of Justice to do an investigation on the patterns and practices of the Akron Police Department. There is no way a traffic stop should end in the death of a citizen in Summit County or anywhere. We stand with justice. We stand with, we stand with, with Jalen. We stand for justice. And we understand that where there's no justice, there's no peace. Where there's no justice, there's no peace. Thank you. All right, we want to bring up next, is uh, Andrew Joseph here? Whose house? Uh -huh. Whose house? Uh -huh. Whose house? Uh -huh. Say his name. Say his name. Say his name. Jalen Walker. Walker, what that mean? Fight back. Jalen Walker, what that mean? Fight back. Jalen Walker, what that mean? What that mean? What that mean? Who's got the power? Who's got the power? Oh. My name is Andrew Joseph Jr. I'm the father of Andrew Joseph III. My 14-year-old son was killed in Tampa, Florida, 2014, while at the Florida State Fair. He was detained by the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department and basically abandoned on side the road without a phone call or a charge against him. And as he was trying to get back to the safety of the fair, he was hit by one Jonathan Hatfield, 19-year-old white male coming from the fair going to the casino. Jonathan Hatfield wasn't given a bread test. He wasn't given a ticket. He was allowed to ride home with my son's remains all over his front grill as if nothing had ever happened. 
February the 7th, 2014. It took us nine years, nine years to get a court date. We went to court and we won. An, astro an astronomical amount of money that would never bring my son back. The day after court, they filed another appeal for qualified immunity, which is another nine-year wait, a nine-year fight. So as I stand on this stage here today, I understand that this family is in its first stage with this grief, with this pain. Because they're part of a club that nobody wants to be a part of. Nobody wants to go to the graveyard to visit your child. Nobody wants to go speak to that wall, to speak in that ground. You're not set up as humans to bury your children. It messes with you emotionally, mentally, psychotically. He's going to dig in your pocket and he comes with a hospital visit. Sister Pam can't count how many tears that they came out of her eyes. How, how hard it's racing. This is not nothing that you can turn off and on at the red light. This is on your mind 24-7, all day, all night. And there's no therapy for this. If I was standing up here with cancer, there's a facility that I can go to to receive treatment. If I was all burnt up, there's a facility that I can go to to get treatment. But when those blue devils, and I ain't talking about the Duke, when those blue devils murder your loved one, there's no therapy that can heal that wound. There's no amount of money that can bring that soul back to this earth. And at some point during this miserable journey, we have to come to the realization that nobody out here today will see Jalen Walker here on earth again. And that's the sorrow salt that we have to live with. But this family is going to need you. It's going to get quiet after these cameras disappear as the years go along. They're going to need you financially, mentally, socially. Just pick up the phone and say how you're doing. Our heart is going to be heavy a lot of mornings, birthdays and holidays without your loved one. But we're going to make sure that they never forget his name. We shall be here. Say his name! Say his name! Say his name! Hello? All right, let's hear it. For the Andrew Joseph Family and Foundation, this is a club that no, none of us deserves to be a member of. Is Mar Markel Bridges, Building Bridges. Let's give Markel Bridges another impacted family round of applause. Uh, Markel Bridges, Building Bridges for Community Unity and Progress. In fact, I'm not uh, an impacted family. I'm actually uh, play a strange position in this fight. Um, often behind the scenes, helping families uh, with it, whatever they need, often from the beginning stage before anyone would listen, uh, before anyone would share, before there was any uh, media coverage, I'd be right there with the families uh, trying to get them whichever resources they need. I'm here today to, to connect the dots. I'm here to, to let you know that 
Jalen is not an isolated incident. I'm a local of uh, Gulfport, Mississippi, born and raised in Laurel, Mississippi, and I want to tell you about Michael Corey Jenkins. Michael Corey Jenkins was at his friend's house when six white officers came in, handcuffed him, began to waterboard him, uh, began to sexually assault him, and before they left, they stuck the gun in his mouth while handcuffed and shot him in the mouth. I'm here to tell you about Rasheen Carter, black boy working, a hardworking man, a father, a business owner. He's working out of town and in the city of Taylorsville, Mississippi, and three trucks full of racist white men kidnapped him, decapitated him. He was found with his genitals in his mouth. I'm here to tell you about Glenn Foster Jr., a Saints player. It doesn't matter what walk of life you are. It doesn't matter your educational level. They're killing you because you're black. They're killing you because you're black. They're killing you because you're up under this system, this racist and oppressive system that's always been here. These stories, these names, Miss Tiffany Rochelle, we can keep going. Jaheen McMillan, 15-year-old boy, all over the world, it starts with the police, then it goes to the coroner that refuses to tell these families what happened, how he died, in which manner, and then it goes to the DA presenting BS cases, and then it goes higher and higher of just injustice. So we are here at the doorsteps of the DOJ demanding pattern and practice investigation into Jalen Walker. We, we, we live in America where they can shoot, shoot at you 90 times, strike you 46 unarmed, and the grand jury return a no bill. Just let process that. Process that. That's, that's how much your life matters. Process that. All over the world, they're killing us. Andrew Joseph shared you his story. I, I can go on and on. We're going to keep the focus on Jalen. But name after name, same result after same result. It's on each and one of every one of us. I want to thank the Freedom Block for standing behind this family. This is what it takes. Stand behind them firm. Never, never waver. Continue to show up. They need you. When, when these go off, y'all continue to be with this family. Say his name. Say his name. No justice. No justice. We have some other families. Brief remarks. Brother Johnson Stevens. Let's give him a round of applause. All right, my brother Jeffrey Stevens was killed by the same sorry department, Akron Police Department, shot down 22 times after his family called the police about an incident. The first black dudes they saw, then the ones they got. He was with his son. But today I'm here to represent Jalen Walker, which is my nephew, my godson, And that was a rough one. Say his name. They didn't. They, this this department didn't do nothing for my brother, but we gonna get him now. We gonna get him now. When uh, Reverend Green of Freedom Block comes forward in a little while. He'll talk about precisely what the demands are and the timeline. This ain't just going to be hanging out there for weeks and days and months infinitely. We want a response within two weeks. 
Uh, Bishop Barber just, you see me keep, I know that looks rude, I keep answering the phone. <laughs> but Bishop Barber just called to tell me he's calling all of our friends in the movement, Tamika, to tell them to call inside right now so we can try to get this, get this going. Uh, one of our partner organizations locally here and has been doing great work when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement is Harriet's Wildest Dreams. Y'all in the house, is Mickey here? There you are, Mickey Charles from Harriet's Wildest Dreams is going to come forward. They've been fighting a good fight around police violence here locally. We want to give them an opportunity. They mobilize some of the local folk to come out here. So the DMV, that's what they call, that's what they call it down here. The DMV is in the house. All right, Mickey. You are listening to Voices from the Justice for Jalen Walker rally held June 27th in front of the Department of Justice in Northwest D.C. The MC is Mark Thompson. The rally was marking one year since 25-year-old Jalen Walker was shot to death with 27 bullets by the Akron Police Department. And though Walker was the focus, the testimony from family and friends of others slain by the police filled the event and painted uh, a really horrific picture of police violence in the United States. Up next are activists from here in the DMV, Harriet's Wildest Dreams. My name's Mickey. I'm a lead organizer with Harriet's Wildest Dreams, based right here in Washington, D.C. We're a black abolitionist community defense hub, and we center all black lives most at risk for state-sanctioned violence. We're out here today to support the family of Jalen Walker. We send you our love, our support, and we uplift him. Our work is rooted in community defense because, as abolitionists, we know that the police do not keep us safe. We know that these systems of carcerality in all forms, whether that be the prison industrial complex, whether that be the banks, all capitalism, all them isms, we are fighting to reimagine a new world. We are building the world that we want to live in, and all of that is rooted in community because we keep us safe. Who keeps us safe? We keep us safe. Who keeps us safe? We keep us safe. And the fact of the matter is that D.C. is a police state. We have 32 independent police departments right here in D.C. We have more police per capita than anywhere else in the entire country. So you're not only dealing with the Metropolitan Police Department, you're dealing with the FBI, you're dealing with Park Police, you're dealing with U.S. Marshals, and however many more there are that maybe I don't even know about. And you will come into contact with them. They want to make you think that you won't, and you will. We have families up here with us that have been affected by all of these police departments and agencies. And it's not okay. Gun violence is a real issue in D.C. But we cannot deny the fact that police gun violence is also gun violence. The exposure that black people have 
to guns is rooted in police gun violence. They are in our schools. They are in our neighborhoods. They're in our backyards. They are in our homes sometimes. They're everywhere. And it is really heartbreaking the number of names on this list that I have here of people in D.C. that have been shot and killed by the police. In 2022 alone, there were only 12 days out the year that police did not shoot and kill somebody. Shame! 12 days. 365 days in a year. There were only 12 days in 2022 where police did not shoot and kill somebody. That's averaging about 100 people a month. In what world is that okay? No world. No world. That is not okay. And we know that it disproportionately affects historically and underserved neighborhoods, particularly black neighborhoods. We have a police chief in D.C. and a mayor who constantly talk about crime in our city. What is causing crime? What are the the data that it shows? But what we really need to talk about is criminalization. And that is almost in every facet of our society today. Whether you are in a grocery store, whether you are trying to get an education, whether you are walking down the street, black bodies are criminalized every single day for existing. And that's the way they built it. So we cannot ask for justice. We cannot ask them to give us the tools to overthrow what we know is not okay. We have to demand it. That's right. That's right. We have to take it. Yes, that's right. That's and we need to come together as a community and support and love and show up for one another. And that's what Harriet's Wildest Dreams does. We show up for our community. And I hope and pray that Akron is showing up for y'all as well. Because that's really what's going to get us through. There's a lot of legislation right now in D.C. that is being discussed and passed and overthrown that insinuate that we need more police, that insinuate that we need harsher cultural punishments. And we know that's not true. Mayor Bowser wants to harshen penalties for children in D.C. There is no reason for a 12-year-old to be held without bond, to be held in a cage at all. We are putting more money into incarcerating children than we are into our education system. And they are trying to make it seem like what these youth are doing when they haven't even, probably haven't even done anything wrong. They'll make you believe that they probably deserved it. And that's not okay. Our youth in D.C. need to be poured into now more than ever. Because we're not going to deny that intercommunity violence doesn't exist. It does. But we need to pour into our community resources, funding, support, not cages. That's right. That's right. Not punishment. They deserve to be uplifted. Because this is not a world that I would want my child to live in. And I hope that none of you either would. Now I'm going to yield the rest of my time to the lovely women behind me so that we can uplift the lives in D.C. that have also been lost to police violence. 
because their names need to be said as well. Mama, mama, can't you see? Mama, mama, can't you see? What police have done to me? What police have done to me? They lock us up, they shoot us down. They lock us up, they shoot us down. Ain't no justice in this town. 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 What do we want? Justice. What we want to do, just like we did, it's, it's really all of these queens up here representing their families. In the interest of time, we want to do what we did in Akron. I'm going to ask each one of you to name your loved ones, say your loved one's name, and then we're going to repeat it. Say that individual's name, okay? okay. Just say, We're going to just say, each say everybody's name. Archie Elliott III. Say his name. Come up, come up to the mic. Come on up to the mic. Just say, say, say your loved one's name. Delano Martin. Delano Martin. Vito Hall. Vito Hall. Before somebody forget his name, Terry Sterling. Terry Sterling. Jamal Bird, say his name. Jamal Bird. Kevin L. Cooper. Kevin L. Cooper. Gary Hopkins Jr. Gary Hopkins Jr. Daquan Young. Daquan Young. Dale Graham. Dale Graham. Standing out here, we have the mother of Corinne Gaines. Say her name. My name is Brenda Jordan. My son named Trey Jordan. Killed by the U.S. Park My son, Donnell Rochester. Donnell Rochester. Kevin Hargrave, say his name. Kevin Hargrave. Let's lift up all of these family. Did we leave anybody out? Troy Tiffany Bullock. Spoke. Tiffany spoke. Troy Bullock. Say his name. Troy Bullock. Donnell Womack. I do want to acknowledge one mother here who I've known. We were out here many years ago. Yeah. Many, many We don't want to say ago. the number of years, do we? 30 years. 30 years. 30, 30 years. Her son was taken from us 30 years ago. 30 years. And they posted a picture in the paper Friday this month, June the 19th. June, on Juneteenth, 30 years ago. Artie Elliott. And they posted a picture in the form of, of us marching together. I don't know how that's possible because I'm not 30 yet. But... <laughs> No, we were here in these streets, and she, Dorothy Elliott, has been keeping up the fight and has been in the, before Black Lives Matter was even yeah, yeah. a hashtag. Dorothy Elliott was out here leading this movement, so we're thankful for her. Give her a special round of applause yeah. this 30th anniversary. Real quick, real quick, real quick. Okay, I would, like mic, for, I would like for all of us to remember the words that I want to share now. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Yes. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Let's have a round of applause for all these mothers. Thank you all. 
all these family members. Brother Joseph said, this is not a club anybody wants to be a member of, but there are just so many. One name we forgot, Amir Brooks. Amir Brooks. Just came. Another, another name. Amir Brooks. Amir Brooks. Amen. Maya Hall. Maya Hall. There's so many. We got so many names. That That's it. Darren Lazarus, say his name. Darren Lazarus. All right. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Real quick, real quick. Yes. Um, my name is Marion Gray Hopkins. I'm with the Coalition of Concerned Mothers, an organization right here in this, in this local region that is formed and led by impacted mothers. And so I want to say to the family that we stand in solidarity with you. I will be exchanging my numbers and then reach out to us for any support that is needed. Thank you. All right. You shall go greet Ms. Walker. We can do better than that. Thank you. Let's give Harriet's wildest dreams a round of applause as well for organizing these mothers. We're going to bring forward now my brother to give us a word from Until Freedom. Our brother, my son, give him a round of applause. How y'all doing today? My name is Myson Lennon. I am one of the four co-founders of Until Freedom, along with my sister, who will be speaking shortly, Tamika D. Mallory, Angelo Pinto, and Linda Sarsour. I'm also the founder and creator of a national movement called Boycott Black Murder. And I, I'm, I'm gonna be very brief. I just want us to understand that we can't stop fighting. Like, we can't stop fighting because nothing that we've ever got in this country, we didn't get by fighting. They're never gonna give black people anything that we don't fight for. I know we feel like we shouldn't have to fight for justice. We shouldn't have to fight for freedom, but history shows us that we have to fight with every breath that we have. We cannot stop fighting when these cameras disappear, when the crowds get lower, when the national media doesn't show what it's supposed to show, when they wanna distract you with the Titan and the Titanic, Instead of showing you pictures of Jalen Walker, who was shot 46 times with handcuffs on him in the street. That wasn't on the national news. They didn't show you the picture of Jalen Walker in handcuffs with 46 holes in his body because they don't want you to be outraged and fight for your freedom. They want you to stop fighting. They want you to be distracted. They want you to be distracted. They want you to believe that we can't win. But the only way we win is if we fight. They said the only way that evil can triumph is for good people to do nothing. So we don't have the right to do nothing. We have to fight with every inch of our body. We've seen this before. We've seen this before from Philando Castile, Sean Bell. We've seen it before, Breonna Taylor. We have to continue to fight. We have to stay vigilant. It, it only takes a few lions to win a war. We don't care about the sheep. I go to war with 10 lions before I go with a million sheep. So these are the lions right here. Understand you are pivotal. I am fighting for my life, not just Jalen Walker, because I understand I can be Jalen Walker at any given time. And when we take that fight and we identify that fight as black men and black people in this country, we understand that we don't have the right to stop fighting. So I'm gonna say it one more time, please don't stop fighting. 
Please don't give up when you see small crowds. Please don't give up because you don't see it on the media, because you don't see it on CNN, because they want you to stop fighting. So please don't stop fighting. When I say boycott, I want y'all to say black murder. Boycott! 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 Keep on fighting, y'all. Our brother, my son, Lennon, give him another round of applause. We thank you. On the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored, supported show, and we are in need of your support. If you rely on the show, if you listen to the show, you come to look forward to what we are able to offer every week. Please support us on Patreon at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash on the ground show. And you can also give on our website through PayPal or other means if you want to send a check. All that information is there. But please, please support us. I want to thank our supporters on Patreon so much. And for those who are already supporting, if you can tell a friend who you know would love to sign up, we need the support. Patreon.com forward slash on the ground show or go to on the ground Thank you. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam, here with our media critic, John Jeter, who we haven't spoken to in quite some time. Welcome back to the show, John. Thank you for having me, Esther. Well, there is a mountain of headlines from this week, and I'm actually not sure if we'll get into the media aspects of these things, but I just wanted to talk to you about, to help me bring together all these topics, you know, that we just had in our headlines and uh, voices from a commemoration of one year since Jalen Walker was murdered by Akron police, uh, police in Akron, Ohio. So the big story that everyone's talking about is this, uh, the Supreme Court overturning affirmative action and looking at these two cases stemming from the University of North Carolina and Harvard. There earlier in the week, they also rejected the independent state legislature theory, and which is this really fringe theory that basically allowed these you know Republican state legislatures to say that you know they they control everything and they rule everything, and uh, just a number of cases there were people out. Inside the White House on the 25th, demanding that Biden take Cuba off the sponsors of terrorism list, this, you know, crazy list that, you know, Trump put them on during his term, uh, put them back on during his term. And of course, um, like I said, you know, there was this really, I don't know, very heart wrenching gathering of people marking right. one year since Jalen Walker was murdered by police in Akron, Ohio. And you had all these parents, mothers mainly, of murdered children, murdered sons, not children really, because most of them were young adults or full adults. It just, just made me really just think about all these disparate issues around 
the continued, not just anti-Black racism, but just the the neo-fascist state that we're living in. When we're talking about murder, we're talking about genocide inflicted against the Cuban people, basically, for 60 years now. When you talk about this embargo and blockade that's starving the people, you know, um, impoverishing them. And just, I don't know, putting that into context next to whether those of us who are more privileged get to go to have our, have our, the legacy of our oppression considered when we want to apply to these elite universities, you know, comparing all these things, nothing is more striking to me or more important to me than the impunity of, of police murder and that, all these other things, um, certainly, you know, admission to Harvard kind of pales in comparison to that. And then I'm starting to think, like, why do we have to kind of like compare our oppressions to, to compare the ways that we are being marginalized and killed? Yeah. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, no, everything that's going on puts me in mind of a couple of statements, one by Antonio Gramsci, the Italian Marxist theorist who talked about how we're in an interregnum. This was 100 years ago, of course, an interregnum. Uh, the old is dying and the new cannot be born. And that's what it feels like now. And the other is uh, uh, the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, I hope I pronounced that right, who said recently in a conversation with Vladimir Putin that we're in a transitional period. The world is in a transitional period that we haven't seen in over 100 years. And all these things that you mentioned I think really kind of underscore this transition from a, as this country and really the world, particularly if we think about what's going on in France right now, uh, the murder of a young uh, Arab boy, I believe, a teenager uh, by the police uh, on tape, on film. Um, mm-hmm. And we see people out in the streets. And so, you know, I think that the, the world is really coming to grips with this colonial era, which morphed into a, a neo-colonial era, but people are, are starting to fight back and resist. And at the same time, of course, we see these white settler projects and we see uh, these neo-colonial projects in the West uh, trying to maintain power. And so there is this uh, you know, feeling of an irresistible force meeting an unyielding wall. And uh, you know, who knows how it's going to shake out. The affirmative action thing is really very interesting to me. I hope that we will Think of this as a as a reset button. By we, I mean particularly Black people and people of conscience uh, as a whole. That we think about this as a reset button, particularly in the, uh, in the in the if we understand that affirmative action really hasn't done anything for the Black community. There have been certain Blacks, uh, Barack Obama type people and Kamala Harris type people who have benefited, but that's at the expense of the Black community. So I hope we mm-hmm. we, we take this moment to, to to reset and to think about how we can, as Malcolm you know first proposed, how we can think of education uh, that serves the community in which we educate people, prepare people, our young people to serve the community, to to advance the the causes uh, within our own community. Uh, One last statement I'll I'll mention, Adam Clayton Powell Jr., who was fond of saying Harvard has ruined more Negroes than bad whiskey. You know, maybe we should think (laughs) about, you know, maybe we should think about how we, how we can now take advantage of this moment and pressure the Biden administration, whoever, whoever follows the Biden administration, pressure them to fund 
black colleges and open admissions at black colleges to give us uh, black people and and and, and a leg up that we that we really need, but one that is sort of freed from the white gaze once again, right? I don't know that. I'm, I'm not sure that you can make the case that affirmative action has benefited us. I think you can probably make the case that affirmative action has benefited white people more than as black people in terms of their uh, ability to expand their own humanity by being exposed to us and our ideas and our our, our history and our experience and their and the and the understanding of what this country has done to us, what is robbed us of or dispossessed us of so you know we're, we're just we're in this transitional period it's 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 like the chinese curse but you live in interesting times we certainly live in interesting times and uh uh, uh these most recent events underscore that well well you know in may i did a three interviews with gerald horn about his latest book revolting capital Race and Radicalism in Washington, D.C., 1900 to 2000. And so when we got to the part about the 1960s or late, maybe you can even say 1950s, there was this kind of bifurcation in the movement where, and it's something we, we're familiar with, but it was it was kind of really clear in the book where you had certain groups that were moving toward emphasizing uh access to these types of higher institutions and the hiring of the first black here or the first black there. You know what I mean? The hiring of who would get government positions here in DC, uh, who would, uh, you know, and because, you know, these are, these are high paying jobs. These are black faces and high places where they hadn't been before. And then the people in the movement who were say, well, no, what we have to do is keep lifting up from the bottom. And and if these positions, if when in these positions, you're not going to keep lifting up from the bottom, hmm, I'm not really sure that is really doing anything for us. Right. So what you said made me think about that part in the book and that that discussion. And 50 years later, more than 50 years later, you know, that is resonating for me in this week when I think about the the horror really of the, you know, mother after mother coming forward, saying her son's name, you know, and how many people, how many of these names we don't even know. And we keep, and we can't even keep track of them anymore. And I think I saw um, this coming week, there being an anniversary being marked of, you know, 10 years of black lives matter. I'm not sure what they're dating it from. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think it, because uh, it could be, it could be Trayvon Martin. Um, yeah. But yeah, that would have been two, 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. And so that's just something to think about in terms of, of, of what this decade has meant in terms of what's just been more visible murder. I agree with you, Esther. You know, there really was this rupture in the 60s where we there was a transition from the civil rights movement to the radical black power movement. And I, I think then there's a shift back to the, the, the civil rights ethos of integration. And I think if we look back, we, we can say that that was clearly a mistake. If you do go back and look in history, in the late 60s and the early 70s, when uh, first Lyndon Johnson, but then especially Richard Nixon, were pushing affirmative action 
Uh, but he was pushing it because he knew it would drive blacks and whites apart. And so if you go back and look at the historical record, you'll see that the black labor leaders, black civil rights leaders, they weren't, they weren't big on affirmative action because they knew it would actually cause resentment between black and white working class people, especially. And uh, the labor leaders, for instance, were pushing for a uh, federal jobs program because they knew that would be uh, something that would uh, meet the needs of everyone. And so I think we really need to revisit, you know, uh, particularly Fred Hampton's ideas, black power for black people, white power for white people, brown power for brown people, and X power for everybody left out, right? People having power over their own communities. I mean, we need to understand this is what we are right now. Hopefully, maybe you know, a century from now will be different, but we're not a melting pot. Uh, we are a nation that's built on a super exploited class. The blacks are a super exploited class. Uh, white people are exploited as well, but we're a super exploited class. And what we need really is power. Uh, reparations should take the form of power over our own community. So, you know, this is maybe a time and inflection point where we can look back and say, okay, where did we go wrong and how do we go forward? The past won't, the future won't look like the past necessarily, but there's something to be learned from the past and in, in informing our way forward, I think. Okay. Well, I hope that we can take a deeper dive into some media issues again soon. But for now, I thank you for Helping me to sort out this tremendous week. It's been very busy, filled with news, filled with headlines, and all of them have a real, have a deeper meaning for us. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with me today, John. Thank you, Esther, for having me. And that will do it for this episode of On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. The petition to support the letter sent to the Department of Justice seeking justice for Jalen Walker is at bit.ly forward slash DOJ letter dash Jalen Walker. You can contact us, work with us and support us and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain onthegroundshow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter or patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. I also link to all of my shows on my Instagram page, which is Esther underscore Averum. And that's I V like Victor E R E M like Mary. The music we played this hour included Nkosi Sikele I Africa featuring Sulama Mafungwange, race babbling by Stevie Wonder. And our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averum. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace.